Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to a football podcast. My name is Devang Desai and I'm joined by the usual suspects, Nick Andrade and David Gass. This week, something different. Somehow, we have made it to the end of 2020. What a terrible year it was, but plenty have happened in the soccer world, gents. So let's talk about it all. David, Nick, how was this year for you? Well, I'll start out with this. You know, you think you know a person... We've gone almost half a year doing a show together, and I just found out you don't know how to say my last name, which is pronounced David Gas. <laughs> oh, did I say Gas? Gas. <laughs> so, uh, so it's been an up and down one, Devang. You know, I felt pretty good about For it ten real. minutes ago, but now, now you know the the. The ground's been broken below me, and I don't know where I stand. Major apologies. I thought I got that right. It wasn't written down in in my uh, defense, as I normally read these off the page, but I tried to freestyle it and butchered it, of course. Nick, <laughs> please save me here. Um, my year was horrible, um, just in general. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I did lose a job, and that wasn't great, but then I moved into my first ever apartment, so that was nice. Hey, and uh, then I'm on this podcast now, which is even better, right, guys? Boom. And I met you yeah, two. So actually, mm-hmm. because I met you two, I think my year has been pretty good. I, I will say that starting to do this show during the pandemic when it was like, what is going on in my life? And then having this to do once a week was a very nice uh, pick me up during a tough time. I it was, You took the words out of my mouth. Uh, yeah, I look forward to these sessions and it's... It's been a lonely existence. I'm not going to lie this year. I live on my own as well. And uh, it's been a tough year. But being able to chat with you fellas about soccer has been truly wonderful. And I mean, it was a bad year, but some pretty cool stuff happened. And we thought we would take a whirlwind tour through the headlines of the year that was. And I think it makes sense to start in North America. And it makes sense to start with... Alfonso Davies and Bayern Munich winning the Champions League and on that Alfonso Davies beat specifically doing something that no Canadian male player has ever done. I think that moment, that day, obviously huge for Bayern Munich as a club, but I think that day will go down um, as a historic one for Canadian football fans, David. And MLS, just as a league to not have a guy who uses as a way station like an Elmy Roan, 
you know, or a player like uh, Javinko or Wayne Rooney who came here and maybe went back to Europe and played at a high level, like Zlatan, I guess, is the best example. Alfonso Davies, a guy who was developed in an MLS academy, brought through a USL and then MLS structure and then sold to Bayern Munich and earning a starting spot. Uh, that was a moment for the sport in this continent. And he did something that not just Canadian, not just American, even the Giants in Mexico, outside of Rafa Marquez, I don't know that anyone's ever done this. Kaylor Navas has done it a couple of times. That's goalkeeping a little different. Um, so it was a huge moment, I think, for everyone. And that picture of him with the Canadian flag wrapped around his waist, holding the trophy, smiling, like he's kind of become everything and he's such a good person and it's so easy to root for him. But Devang, I think a lot of people, when they think back on this year, that'll be the first thing they remember is where were you when it happened? And, you know, you'll remember watching that game and watching that whole Champions League run as Davies developed into what many believe is the best left back in the world. Easy question, this one. How does this feel? Yeah, it feels really good. It feels really good. It feels like, you know, it's everything you dream of as a kid. Um, you know, growing up in Edmonton, cold Edmonton, you know, coming to Europe and winning Champions League with a great club like mine is just everything Come you can on. ask for. Come on! This is your eighth Champions League appearance, isn't it? It's not meant to be that easy, you're not to, to win it that quickly. Yeah, I mean, that just goes to show, you know, the team that I have around, you know, around me, helping me um, every every time we play. Um, it just goes to show you the team. <laughs> Look out. <laughs> I think that part of, like, living vicariously through someone, like, seeing all of these celebrities and megastars, like, acknowledge Fonzie and, like, tweet at him or shout him out and being like, look at this kid. It's It helps it sink in, this feeling that this is not a normal thing that we're watching. And, and the fact that this player... Um, has broken every expectation that has been placed on him. It was pretty remarkable, but not just to limit it to to Fonzie in Canada, David. I think North America in general, if you look at the players that are now playing in Europe, both men and women, you're seeing more Americans there by the day. Um, Biases aside, if you're just looking at what a country is doing well, and and one of those countries is definitely the United States in terms of what we're seeing from those young players, because literally every day, no matter what league you're watching, one American youngster is doing something very cool. We were trying to like originally boil this down to moments. And I was like, oh, Pulisic scoring the champ in the FA Cup final. No, McKenney transferring to Juve. No, Serginho Dest appearing for Barcelona or playing in El Clasico or Tyler Adams scoring in the Champions League quarterfinal. And then I started to hit like, yeah, there is no moment, which is the best part about this for the U.S. It's not a golden generation and it's not a flash in the pan. There's a lot of hard work by a lot of people for a really long time who believed in the game in this part of the world and the ability to produce great players. And I've been lucky enough to be around it for a while. I mean, of the guys you name who are the elite young players for the U.S., I've seen most of them play in person at a youth level. So I've been lucky enough to be around that. And so I know a lot of the people that are involved and how proud they are and how excited they are with everything that's happening. And it's it's just going to continue. You look at more players who are being sold. Brendan Aronson gets sold to a Champions League team. Mark McKenzie's on his way. It sounds like Cole Bassett could be headed to Germany. And there's so many good young players. Io Akinola is probably not too far away. Um, so it's really exciting, Devang. And it's just been cool because this is a guy, for me, who used to record on my VH, VCR, I think, 
Derby games when Benny Failhaber was there to see if he'd get in and watch the seven minutes he played off the bench for the worst team in Premier League history. And now you just flip on the top five games of the weekend and you get to watch an American play. It's just a whole new world. Thomas Redzinski and Paul Staltieri uh, walked so we could run now. And it's what a world. It's remarkable. Uh, way back in January, Christine Sinclair, a.k.a. the GOAT, broke Abby Wambach's record for international goals with 184 and 185 against St. Kitts down in Texas. This happened in January. So, I mean, this might as well have happened 40,000 years ago. But <laughs> we would be remiss to not mention uh, since the end, uh, that moment especially. I, I talked to you about that that Fonzie day and, and just the celebration, but I, that outpouring when since he took that record for Abby Wambach was huge. We talk about um, flag bearers and torch bearers and, and doing things now so we can see uh, the fruits bear out later on. Christine Sinclair, I, it's impossible to overstate um, her importance to the game in this country. Fleming to Leon, Sinclair wide open. Is this it? It is! Sinclair has done it! The Queen of the North, the Canadian sensation, it's simply Cincy with goal number 185, Christine Sinclair, 7,260 days after her first, is now the all-time leading scorer in international soccer. The level of consistency that she's had for so long, like I can't even remember a time where she wasn't on the team. And she was always scoring goals and she's just always been a staple. And I think, you know, maybe people take her for granted in terms of what she's done for Canadian soccer. But it's she's just had an incredible career. And I can say, you know, obviously I'm a USA fan, although I love watching Canada play. And Ashley Lawrence and Kadesha Buchanan are, you know, awesome. And Jesse Fleming, the future's bright. And I like I, I like rooting for Canada. But what Christy Sinclair was able to do and then elevate Canada to be that rival for the U.S. was massive for just the energy around the women's game. Um, and I just think when you look at some of the big tentpole moments that have happened for both national teams, they've been against each other. And Sinclair has been so big in keeping Canada elevated at times, maybe when the roster wasn't as deep for it now to be one of the best again in the world. Um, and I think back, obviously... Fortunate for us, not so much for you guys, 2012 Olympics uh, and all of that. So it, some of the big moments, I think, in soccer history have been because of her ability to elevate the Canadian national team at times. Oh, the disgrace in London, David. Is that what you're referring to? Um, disgr- yes. <laughs> Listen, I'm, everyone I'm knows not a goalkeeper in the world steps outside of the box with the ball <laughs> in their hands. And the one time you do it, you have to be punished. So MLS started the season normally. I think back in March, things were kind of normal. I went to a game at BMO Field on March 7th. That should have been the highlight of the year. Devang, that's what we should have gone with. Thank God it was in a super spreader event. I think it was cold as hell and it was outside. But I remember it vividly because March 7th was around the time the last time I did something relatively normal in like a group setting. But obviously the league had to shut down and along with everyone else kind of figure out what to do next. But they came back with the MLS's back tournament down in Orlando at Disney. Overall, I think we would have to say it worked out, but it was not smooth, David. I think we saw a team have to pull out. We saw multiple COVID cases. We saw the idea of grappling with COVID as a professional entity really stare us in the face with this tournament but when it was all said and done they were able to crown a champion 
Yeah, I have two teams pulled out or were forced two, out. Two, correct, right. Um, right. But I, I think at the time, I don't know that we on this show or a lot of people totally understood or agreed with it. In the end, it was probably the right decision to to push the league forward. And when you saw what happened to other leagues and the way they've tried to handle this, I think MLS did the right thing. They got it right. And I know a bunch of people who were down there and they felt like it was done the right way and they felt comfortable in it. Um, and everyone was safe in the end and came back. And the soccer was phenomenal. To some extent, some group stage quick hit tournament is probably going to become a regular for Major League Soccer because it was a lot of fun. You saw weird cross-conference matchups and three games in a day and a spread out over the course of the day from a 9 a.m. all the way through to midnight. Um, it was unique, but uh, I think it was the first real moment, at least here, where I was like, okay, yeah, maybe there is a present in this and then a future coming after uh, this whole pandemic. I think the most important thing we saw emerge from MLS's back is the emergence of the Black Players Coalition, um, who displayed one of the most powerful protests um, in the wake of the George Floyd killing in Minneapolis. Justin Morrow was one of the vanguards of this movement, and he was rewarded uh, or recognized uh, at the end of the season. David, I think this for me is the most lasting MLS memory I'll have um, outside of the games, even with the games included, sorry. Um, how poignant that image was uh, and the fact that you could sense that something had changed uh, beyond what we could see on our television screens. And I, I think that that image will stick with me beyond uh, 2020 when it comes to MLS. Yeah, absolutely. And I've covered this league for a while and I've gotten to know some really great people in this league. And soccer's not the biggest sport in North America, in the U.S., in Canada. And I, a lot of players had things they wanted to say, but they didn't feel like they had the stability to do it. They didn't feel like their club would support them. They didn't feel like they had the following enough maybe to step out on a limb. And they didn't know if the supporters would. Uh, and this year changed a lot of that. And not for a good reason, right? It was kind of was like a, people are desperate. The world has to change. But I think a lot of those players saw the reactions they wanted to see and then have found a voice. And like I applaud the players like Justin Morrow and Kai Kamara uh, and Ray Gaddis and Warren Craval who have led this. But uh, I'm genuinely excited to see the young crop of players who are now going to assume that their role is to be an activist, to be outspoken. And they're going to teach that to the next generation and the next generation. Um, and that's. I've always felt soccer is special, especially in this region, because it brings people together and empowers people from communities that don't often get heard and don't often interact. Uh, and this is kind of like that last step for me of if you can be a soccer player in the U.S. and Canada and you can be outspoken about your reality, that's an area for people like Latinx backgrounds who just don't have a figurehead to kind of lead their fights sometimes. And we've seen that change now. Uh, in 2020. And I agree with you. I think that's going to be the signature memory and the signature moment that came out of this year. And hopefully it's the start of a strong movement that we look back on fondly. I was just thinking to myself, I first time I met Mark Anthony K, he was a kid in the academy in Toronto and soft spoken. I mean, he's super young, right? He's finding his way 
learning about things on the field and off and, and to see him then and to now where he's a leader of this movement and, and one of the guys in LA um, doing the most to bring about change was, was special, man. And I think that, that you hit the nail on the head about the young players. They're not um, they're not held back by what they're told can't be done. And I think a lot of us could, could use that example in our own lives as well. Um, going forward to the on-field stuff, they finish the season. And I think when we look at the other leagues, this is, again, one of those remarkable things, right? Again, it was not perfect, um, positive tests, and I, a lot of the stuff that we frankly don't know exactly how it was handled, right, based on the behind-the-scenes stuff. But they got it done, and it seemed, David, that you were high on for most of the year, truly showed out in the end. The Columbus Crew 2020 MLS Cup champions, we talked about it this year a lot, and I think hitting on the DP is we understand it's important, but when you hit it out of the park like Columbus did, you, you end up winning the biggest trophy of all. Crew have been saved, and the crew for a second time in their history have won MLS Cup. One of the things we've seen from Tim Bezbachenko in his career in MLS is it's a roster built top to bottom. He hits on his DPs, but he hits on his MLS free agents, trades, draft picks, academy kids that he gives opportunity to you know, international signings. And that's, we saw again, a Columbus team that for sure led by now one of the five or, you know, top two elite tens in MLS and as good as anyone pound for pound in Zellerion, but also a team that front to back could withstand players being out in the postseason with COVID and yet still have the pieces to move in and start and remain at a high level. And then to peak in MLS Cup was important. Impressive. They were deserved champions. It was one of the great MLS Cup performances, Devang. And I don't think you can say that really in 2020 that a team had a peak performance. And so for them to do it in the final was kind of like the chef's kiss for them to say, yeah, this is where the team you'll remember from this year. And if you're putting in these these kind of like checks, um, like are they truly deserving? Did they deserve to win the title when you lose players like Darlington Nagby and Pedro Santos in the lead up to the biggest game of your season and kind of brush, us off, brush it off your shoulder and, and go about your business? I think that that's full value um, for Caleb Porter and Tim Vesvichenko and the crew and for a franchise that, uh, I mean, this, they could have been in Austin by now. It's, it's crazy how things end up, right? It's 2020. Um before we keep going, just a reminder, I think as we close the year, uh, we wanted to thank everyone that's been with us on Patreon um, from the Discord banter. I mean, they've had a lot of fun moments in there from the highs to the extreme lows uh, following the teams like we do. We love talking with you guys. If you want to join in on it, you sure can. It's three bucks a month. You get on the Discord, you get the show ad free and we'll continue to release more solo interviews with newsmakers in the game once we get to 30. So I wanted to thank you guys again for joining us on this journey on Patreon. And if you're interested, it's pretty easy. And like I said, ad-free plus Discord access. So join us on Patreon.com. I could not think of a better holiday gift for someone than to gift them a subscription (laughs) to our show. For anyone, for anyone. the 10 year old to the 20 year old in your household. I don't know. That was a pretty small, 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 <laughs> uh, small group. Yeah. yeah. That's t- okay. I'll, I'll go back to the marketing people. Anyone is welcome. Work that. Anyone. Yeah. Devang really only plays the teenagers. <laughs> TikTok, et cetera. Okay. After the break, a few more North American headlines. And then we hit Europe on our year in review show for 2020.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to a football podcast year in review edition. 2020 saw big changes for Toronto FC. Greg Vanny, head coach for six years, ushering an era of success that this club has never realized before chose to leave after not coming to a new contract agreement with the club. It was, a, I mean, a massive moment. By far the most successful person this club has ever had as their manager. And I think one of the people that helped save this club when it was at the lowest moment, and there were many in the in the history. Um, I'm curious, Nick, just how you reacted to this this piece of news that we, we got in 2020. It was... It was sad because of what he's done. And again, he's like you said, he's the best coach uh, TFC's ever had. But it was almost like you knew it was coming. So it was like, yeah, I understand the decision. So I'm sad about it, but I'm just happy for the memories. And especially when you win an MLS Cup, like and, and just the journey that that team went on from basically a laughing stock almost in the beginning to um, now they're just one of the powerhouses of the MLS. Like it's just... It was such a feel good story. So you can't, you can't kind of be that sad about it because you look back and you're like, wow, just amazing uh, memories that Greg had with this team. I was watching the MLS Cup final and Josh Williams starting um, and doing really well beside Jonathan Mensa. Josh Williams was on the field beside Ahmed Kuntari in TFC's first playoff game against Montreal and Didier Drogba destroyed us and I remember how bad that feeling was and being like I don't think Ahmed Kintari can play in MLS that was also a strong feeling but it felt like this is the same old thing again and it didn't matter who the manager was but it was Greg then and I think to come back from that I remember how bad everyone felt to come from that point to where they were says something about um, what he was able to instill those those games to those playoff games at BMO Field just you'll always remember those ones, whether you were there or watching it on TV. Like that is a moment you'll never forget. I, uh, I, I'm not from Toronto, by the way, spoilers, but I, a lot of the great moments I've been to in soccer history have been this group that Toronto FC built. Um, but one of the things I'm excited about is when Tim Bezbachenko took over in Toronto around 2013. Um, and obviously Tim Lawecki, a big part of what happened, but he was part of now what is a generation that has changed the league again. So you have Bruce Arena and the Ziggy Schmitz that started it. And, you know, they were about acquiring talent and working within what they could. But you've got a a group of people, Garth Lagerwey is in that, Ollie Curtis, who's now in Toronto, but originally with the New York Red Bulls is a part of this, that changed the idea of how you run an MLS team and, and what you do to compete. 
and it's taken the league in bounds in terms of international recognition and the ability to compete. And so you've got the end of an era in Toronto, but what's nice is a lot of the people have now dispersed around the league. And when you look back at other sports and you say, you know, the Green Bay Packers had that coaching staff where everyone went out and changed the league and what Pat Riley's done and his disciples and Greg Popovich. I think you're going to look at these groups and say, you know, in, in five, 10 years, MLS, grew because the people that came out of these think tanks and were developed and you look at Toronto and I know Sean Rubio who worked there for a while is now down helping Austin launch their new team and what Garth's done and the people he's pushed out now around MLS and Seattle have become what they've become and of course Ali Curtis hired Jesse Marsh who's about you know coaching in Champions League now and making history um, so the league is, is has taken steps and these people, I think they've professionalized it in a new way. They've modernized it, not just against the soccer world, but in the soccer world, taking things from the NBA, NFL, um, NHL, all those things and bringing them into soccer. And the league's grown so fast over the last few years because of them. Um, and so it's sad to see it end in Toronto, but it's exciting to me to see other clubs now get the opportunity to sort of do similar things to what Toronto had been doing. The Canadian Premier League year one, massive success. I think the, the hope and optimism about having a league of our own and, and a place where Canadian players can play and, and find regular minutes was a, a massive moment for the sport in our country. But year two, I mean, we all dealt with the pandemic, but I think for a league in its infancy, infancy, this was a make or break decision of do we play? Where do we play? Can we do this safely? So many things going into it, but eventually... The Island Games were decided on in PEI and held successfully with Forge repeating as champions. We've talked a lot about uh, organizations and entities powering through and figuring out a way to get it done during this pandemic. And I think some have done it better than others. But I think in terms of importance, the fact that the CPL was able to get this off and have this tournament and get their clubs over to CONCACAF competitions, etc. I think you cannot undersell how important that was going forward for this sport in our country. Yeah, and I think it was awesome, right? The soccer was great. You saw, I think, a level of competitiveness, like teams that had struggled year one, mainly Halifax, but other groups have, as well were able to elevate their game. Um, you saw a number of new players. So I think it was like great soccer and day in and day out, you had these different matchups and rivalries and all these things going on and new young coaches. And um, it was really fun to watch. And I think for me, fun to be, in a small part, a part of, of just seeing, as you said, like this league's not going anywhere and there's a lot of positives already and there's still so much space to grow. I was a fan of the soccer on the field, but off, I was not a fan of the graphics of the stadiums that they had. Oh, I love a good fake stadium. (laughs) Loved it. That, honestly, I was a bit surprised at how divisive that issue was because there were yes. some people who really disliked it and some people who were nonplussed. But there was they no were playing between. in front of a green screen. <laughs> I think that if you watched all those games at basically what was a high school soccer field, you would have missed. you. It, it felt right, I think, to try something. Whether they did it so well, uh, I don't know. But you had to I like the idea of using this moment to be creative. Jets, do we have our passports or is there anything else left for us in North America before we board a plane? I do have one thing to mention, which is the MLS playoffs as a whole. One of my most favorite 
of all time, really. Like you had the Seattle comeback, which was incredible. And then for me, my personal favorite was Orlando NYCFC and that penalty shootout was probably the most batshit thing I've ever seen. But even if you weren't a huge fan of MLS, I've never seen this before. And a lot of these games is I was on Twitter and watching people tuning in because they were hearing about what was going on and wanted to see what was happening. And I thought that was the special moment. Regardless of what happened. I I agree. All the insanity of the playoffs was top notch. The other one for me was that first weekend where the Orlando uh, NYCFC insanity happened. Uh, Ricardo Pepe, Caden Clark and Gianluca Busio all scored. And they were the second, third and fourth youngest goal scorers in MLS playoff history. Aiden Morris started in MLS Cup. He was the youngest starter and I think only the second teenager to start in an MLS Cup game besides Landon Donovan. So this was a year that's kind of been building for a while, but it seems like that development path. It's not just about selling players. It's not just about national team. It seems like it's starting to be about winning an MLS, which is really exciting for the teams that have invested there. Uh, and I think it's something we've been waiting for for a while. Back. The shot is and saves it! Can you believe that? Unbelievable stuff here! Unbelievable stuff here, ladies and gentlemen! Where it's ridiculous, right? This is getting kind of ridiculous. So, here's a strike. And now! Now it's over. Peak MLS is not a negative thing. Like, when someone says peak yeah. MLS to you, you should take <laughs> yeah. that as a sign to get to whatever device you need to get to and turn on whatever <laughs> game they're talking about. Yeah, I think peak MLS should be a, a push alert you get on your phone that says nothing else, just peak MLS. And then you have to figure out what it means. Like a code, kind of. We go to Europe. I was wondering when you guys, like, when it all clicked for you in the sense of, like, how everything was changing forever because i mentioned that mls game i went to and i was there but i remember like watching atletico madrid play liverpool in a champions league tie um at anfield and i remember they had fans from madrid there and i remember being like should they be here i've almost positive travel has been restricted in a bunch of places but okay that was the last game i really remember as being normal quote unquote watching on tv because after that obviously it all changed i was curious what it was for you guys I, I think it was the first game restricted where it was Inter versus Valencia. And Valencia was like one of the epicenters in Milan and Atalanta and all that area was like the epicenter in Europe. And the fans came and danced outside the stadium. And it was the first moment you, where you were like, this is going to be bad. And a lot of people are going to do the wrong thing and it's going to make it a lot worse. And I can still remember watching that game and thinking there was a fake soundtrack and then realizing that they were it was the noise from outside the stadium and was like uh-oh this this is gonna go poorly for us i remember klopp saying that it was a crime that they played that game i think he said that in the yeah. post and i remember too thinking because the next day's games were canceled it was just the tuesdays right. that that happened i believe Mikel Arteta tested positive the day after yes right he did. and that's he did. when they canceled right the, that weekend slate of premier league fixtures in the alternate timeline, if Mikel Arteta does not test positive, I wonder if they yeah. let those games go ahead and causing just another uh, butterfly effect with terrible outcomes. I, so that all happened. And I mean, yeah. it gets kind of lost now and we'll 
I know Nick will remind us, but Liverpool was waxing people throughout yeah. the beginning of 2020. Yeah. That loss to Watford, I know a lot of Arsenal fans are happy about the Invincibles hanging on, but that that loss was a big shock. The second, I guess, other kind of like seismic shock was when we learned that football was coming back for me in any sort of form, David. And I, I think the Bundesliga was the first, but that's really when I was like, okay, what is next for us? How do we keep playing? How do we keep holding these matches in a safe manner? And the Bundesliga was the first to give it a shot. Yeah. And personally, I didn't really understand how you could play. Like, it just made no sense to me how you could bring people together from different groups and run around and all that stuff and, you know, contact sport. But the science was there that said outdoors and all these scenarios and with the right regimen of testing, you could get it done. And I I think that it was it was a uh, Ryan Darby that first weekend. So it was Schalke versus uh, Dortmund, which is one of the big ones. And it's Germany. You know, you think first, I think a lot of people about the fans. When you think of Bundesliga games like that, then you think about the players on the field. And so tuning in without that was weird, but it was that first moment of collective experience, right? That's what sports are. And even though we couldn't do it physically, it was done on social media and you logged on and you you were getting texts from people and it was like, okay, yeah, we have something to talk about besides, you know, uh, a press conference that was written by an SNL boardroom or something like that. Um, so it was, I, I still remember that weekend and I love the Bundesliga. So I was like, I'm glad a lot of people get to watch it now or have to, um, cause a lot of people ignore it at times. But, uh, yeah, that, I think it was May 16th was the weekend where I was like, okay, this is something that we can see now. This is something we can do. And I think it was that first breath of like, how do you live with this as a society? We mentioned Bayern winning the Champions League, but they won just about everything else this year, the Ballon d'Or was not awarded. And I think the word on the street, the prevailing wisdom, was that Robert Lewandowski would have won if it was awarded. He's just doing the damn thing consistently at an extremely high level. A, I'm a bit surprised no other like entity just gave it out themselves. I know there's some trademark stuff going on there, but the fact that no one else was like, hmm, there's an opening here was strange to me. But if there was a Ballon d'Or to be given out for 2020, is Robert Lewandowski the guy to get it? Yeah, he has been the best number nine in the world for a long time. Um, But as that number nine, he does so much. He creates, he holds up, he floats out of that position, sets other people up, or he's the option on the end of crosses. He can shoot with both feet, score in the air. And in a year in which Ronaldo was in and out um, and the struggles that Barcelona has had, which we'll talk about, I think you look at Lewandowski and you say this was a team in Bayern that won a treble when they fired their coach in the same year (laughs) because the talent was always there, but he performed under both coaches. And I think that kind of shows you what his level is. To me, I was waiting for when's the moment when the Ronaldo Messi era is coming to an end. And I know they still have a lot to give still, but in terms of their peak top level, I don't think they're the two best players in the world anymore. And I don't know if that's a hot take or not. I don't think it is. I think the the messy Barcelona breakup for me was like off the field outside of like any sort of like actual real life impacting events. This this drama, this this episode, um, perhaps the most long awaited, but maybe the most saddening just to observe from afar and be like the it, 
an amicable end probably was not in the cards for Bessie to leave anyways. I don't think it was possible, but to see it play out the way it did and really not really get any clarity when it was done in this, that phase of this drama was sad to me because I, from what we've seen so far, the early returns are, this isn't good for anyone. And it's still not done. Like that's the part we're talking about the messy breakup, but he plays for Barcelona and it's been three months now. And I think that's the part that there's no good way this ends. Um, I, we talked about Cesc Fabregas came out and was like, nah, he's not going to leave. Where at the uh, on the flip side, it seemed like he's already gone. So, And now the interim president said, I would have sold him last summer. So it, it's been pretty bad. Uh, it's been pretty ugly. And I think one of the things about the Messi-Ronaldo era, which is two of the greatest players of all time playing at the same time, mind-boggling. But they won a decent amount of these awards on their reputation. It wasn't always exactly on the performances that specific year, which is where... Lewandowski deserved it this year because of the season he had. Messi and Ronaldo might still be better players than him, but the year he had deserved it. And uh, the year Messi had was he lost eight to two to Lewandowski in Champions League, which is not really a result that you can come back from and say he's the best player in the world. I've mentioned on the show that the Lou Marsh voting is sus. The voting for the Ballantor might be the most sus part any sort of voting in a sport I've ever seen. So I think it is a popularity concept contest beyond most things. But I think Lewa was the rightful winner in 2020. After the break, we round up the headlines from this year. Leon Feminine's dynasty, Vivian Medima, Liverpool, the class of England, and of course, the passing of Maradona. We cover it all after the break on AFP. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to a football podcast, our final segment of our year in review show. We're almost through 2020. We'd be remiss not to mention Leon doing it again, the women's team winning the Champions League. And overall, David, I wanted to touch on the dynamic changes in women's European football and the exodus of talent, not forever, but I think the fact that you have now a bunch of established American stars now going to play with some of the most high-profile clubs in England, the dynamic of that, how much that has changed, I think, um, the profile of women's soccer, not just North America, but globally, I think was a big story of 2020. Absolutely. I think we start with Lyon and we talked about it on the show after, and you said it best of the expectations from them of how they spend and how they support that team kind of forcing everyone else to come to that level uh, has been huge for the game. But then now sort of like the women's game entering the world market sort of for what the men do with transfers, with big player moves and all that things. You look at it, some of the biggest moments in soccer, some of the biggest things that people notice and connect about is transfer stuff. And so for the women's game to enter that is massive and to connect a little 
North America's kind of been a bubble with there's quality, but it hasn't really operated with the rest of the world. And Australia is kind of floating in and out. You've had some great players and teams out of Japan and China and the Koreas, but it hasn't really been like one fluid soccer, you know, system to me on the women's side. And now you're starting to see more of a connection, more of an understanding of where does NWSL stand? Because their best players are now playing in England and playing in France and Germany and Scandinavia. And so I think that's been really cool. Uh, and I think it's going to help the, the, the league or sorry, the sport just grow and grow over the next few years. Shouts to Viv Medima, uh, Arsenal legend. I, I think the coolest part as well is the timing of games and when they're on and, and when you can see the timeline kind of coalescing around an event, kind of like what Nick was talking about the MLS playoffs. You're seeing that more and more with, um, women's premier league games and you get that kind of big game build up like you get on the men's side and and you get the big name players balling out on the biggest stages and that makes for excellent viewing and the more eyeballs the better i expect that to continue in 2021 as we get closer to bigger tournaments as well those are some positive things another positive thing for our friend nick here as well i mean liverpool getting the Premier League title was one thing, but even as an outsider, I was a bit saddened that they weren't able to lift the trophy in front of their fans at Anfield. That being said, what a team. What a damn team. I make fun of Jordan Henderson winning PFA. I I just laugh at that, but the reason I laugh is because that might be the biggest um, indictment of how good this team is. Like They got a guy that is not the player of the year to win that award based on how good they are, and that is the Liverpool team that I'll remember. For the 19th time in their history, for the first time in the Premier League, in the never-to-be-forgotten year of 2020, the champions of England again at last are Liverpool. It's, it's extremely sad, especially because of what happened in 2020, but like 30 years. And I just think of all those people in Liverpool that have been waiting this whole time all the you know people who have made fun of this team throughout the decades that they've never been able to win it at the Premier League level uh, when the trophy or the the league changed uh, to finally do it and to do it in such a dominant way to not be able to share that with your supporters is heart wrenching. But either way, it was just a special moment. And I, you know, I've only been a fan for like 10, 10 I don't know, 10, 15 years. But like, there's people that have been fans for their entire lives and to see just where they were from uh, right at the end of the Brendan Rodgers era where it looked pretty bleak uh, to what Klopp has done with this team and to see where they've gone and a lot a lot of these guys like Jordan Henderson some of these guys starting with this team were not good players and they became great and they became team legends in this this season and this year and it was just incredible to see and i'm sorry if i'm 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 blabbling about this team but i love them very much (laughs) nick he loves all his children equally so he just wants (laughs) everyone to feel the love but i'll say just as someone who who loves soccer and you know watching it and all that it's rare to see everything come together and the performances you saw from liverpool over the course of the first half of this season, you know, pre-pandemic, all that uh, was like historic stuff. And that front three is one of the great ones in Premier League history. And Van Dyke is the best center back in the world. Um, and you have all these other pieces that do their jobs and fits together. And so uh, I've I always enjoy just watching something at its peak, knowing you're watching greatness. And I think that's the feeling you got watching Liverpool through the first half of this season. And 
while it sucks they weren't able to lift the trophy and all that, they did make themselves immune to the, well, there's an asterisk alongside this because they'd already won the title in January, basically. So there was no question about it after all of that. Um, and so it's been awesome to watch this group go along. And I think Klopp will have success if he chooses to stay at Liverpool for longer, but I don't know that it'll reach the same peak because sometimes everything just hits and it's special and it feels like that's what's what's happening. I wanted to mention Neymar because I think uh, how he is viewed is a, is a good way to see how toxic the, the football conversation is in general. If you want to dip your toes in the water and just see generally how Neymar is being talked about, you get a good idea of it, like the general insanity. And I think the conversation around Neymar, perhaps this year more than any other year, has changed the most, I think, for me. Because the PSG team that he took to the Champions League final is probably not as good as maybe others that he's been a part of or PSG teams of the past. But I hate to say it, there was some grit there. And Neymar was their best player, but he did not demand the ball at all times. He wasn't forcing other people off of it. He was playing that team game as the best player on the pitch. It was a sight to see, and he's kept doing it, David. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I uh, listen. I'm a Neymar guy. I'm, I'm a fan of his. I was down in Brazil in the 2014 World Cup, and to watch the pressure on that man, like every single bag of chips, soda, bus billboard, uh, television commercial, he was a part of for a country that all they wanted to do was win, and he stepped up to that at the time, and he won a Champions League at Barcelona for a reason because he's a great player, and I think. I agree with you. The conversation around him is so far off from just any basis in reality. But for him to carry PSG in a big time and Mbappe was hurt throughout that and Verratti missed almost the entire Champions League run. Uh, Di Maria as well suspended for games. So it was him that carried that team through most of it. And it was an impressive performance. And if he never wins it with them, I'm sure everyone will forget about it, but uh, but it was one of the, I think, defining moments of his career. And for him to step up was huge to kind of show, like, let's say Messi comes next year. I think it'll still be Neymar's team because of what he did over the last year. The football world lost a legend this year, Diego Maradona, passing away at the age of 60. Um I think we end on this this headline because it might be the biggest in terms of where we are today and and the players that were influenced by Maradona, the outpouring of, of grief and love for this man, this flawed man. I mean, not a perfect individual, but I think you saw his impact on the game by the people that came out to, to pay their tributes to him, fellas. Yeah, I think it's he... Uh... I think he epitomizes a lot of the mythology that people love around the game. And a lot of that to me is some of the best parts of soccer and some of those beautiful parts. So I think his passing was kind of one of those moments where you sort of like remember back and everyone tells the stories and all that stuff kind of brought a lot of that back to life. Um, And it feels like in an era where we're watching Alfonso Davies TikToks of him eating breakfast, there's not that much mystery anymore around these players and around thing that's happening. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Uh, But I think it kind of reminded people of these bygone errors and all the old heads telling stories about him and all that stuff. Um, I think that was a cool moment for me to just witness everyone kind of experience it in their own way and and talk about it and, you know, what he meant to the sport around the world. But I think a lot of it is what he meant to a lot. I think you said it well, a lot of the players about like 
wanting to be him, wanting to be around him, all those things. It was it was pretty cool to hear from a lot of players who we think are never starstruck by anything and don't really have any memories outside of being celebrities. 2020. Anything else, gents? Europe? We might cover everything? I feel like a lot happened. Yeah. It was hard to remember what happened because there's been five seasons in one year and I can't remember what happened last week. Uh, and it was all pretty difficult, but I think we did a decent rap on a lot of the big stuff that happened. Agreed. Uh, and Nick has been so kind to allot us two minutes each, David, to rant about something that we think has gone unnoticed this year or just a general rant. I'll let you take the floor, sir. Okay. So my rant is this. Stop telling me that a player is not good enough anymore. <laughs> the speed at which people want to give up on players is so frustrating to me. And the same people then are going to talk to me about how great Kevin De Bruyne is and how special Eden Hazard is and what Neymar did for PSG when they already gave up on all those players five times. And that's just at the elite level. I'm watching the Bundesliga this week and and Dedrick Boyata is captain of Hertha Berlin and a phenomenal center back. And that's a guy that everyone told me wasn't good enough to play in League One for a number of years and get sent out from his team. And it's from every level. It's from the top teams where a guy like Paul Pogba is not good enough to play anymore, all the way down to Major League Soccer when a young player gets one performance and everyone says they're not good enough. And then Derek Etienne goes and scores in MLS Cup because it turns out that players need the right positions sometimes. They need the right environments. They need time to get better, whatever it is. I'm very tired of every player being over the hill or a bust 30 seconds into them being a part of a team or making a single mistake. And I think it's one of the things where the best teams in the world understand how to ID that talent now and bring them in. We talked a few weeks ago on our show about Deli Ali. That's a guy where a smart team is going to bring him in and they're going to get a really good player for someone that Jose Mourinho decided isn't a part of his team. Fine. And then everyone else decides to jump on the train and talk about how bad they are and their trash and all these things. And all of those players then go on to win trophies at Sevilla and Atletico Madrid and Dortmund and all these things. Uh, and so I'm tired of people telling me that everyone isn't good enough. And that's my rant. The odds of that person making the comment on Twitter having a footballer in their avatar is extremely high. In fact, they definitely do have a footballer in their avatar. Well said, sir. Uh, so mine, it's kind of a bit similar. Now, I, I think I've said it on the show a couple of weeks now, but I'm really noticing the lack of fans. I think we've gone on long enough now where I think having some back, you have 2,000 fans in some grounds in England. Like It's a nice change, but something is missing and I'm feeling it more and more and I cannot wait till people are safely allowed back into stadiums. With that said though, I think the fan culture we currently have now is incredibly broken and I I don't mean rating players uh, foolishly or saying people suck because I I think we do it all the time but I think the idea of who is who is I guess given the microphone now or why they're given the microphone upsets me and I think if you yell the most you make it for the content usually get the most views but I just generally am sick of it and I know that's not how it works and I know this is a, a wheel that will spin quite well without me but I want off the ride I'm not I'm not down with clicking on a tweet and reading the replies and feeling sick to my stomach and I think it's impossible to go a day without feeling that so I'm, I'm pretty much done with that Aye, aye. I second that. I agree. Can we talk about the one quick thing that we're excited about for next year? Or I, I don't have a two-minute rant because I thought it was just for you guys, but I just want to say one thing. VAR, figure it out. 
That's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's go, son. Figure it out. See, Nick Nick gets a microphone now. Because <laughs> uh, he's upset know, about right? stuff. <sighs> What's the positive thing, David? What are you looking forward to? So I, I would say I'm glad we're not doing any form of preview show for the next year because that would be the worst show ever because nothing would be accurate because <laughs> yeah. we don't know what anything will be. But if, if, if there is a scenario in which we can, whatever we do, maintain some level of public health and there is a vaccine and there is a level of people that can be a part of sporting events, I love international soccer. And I think... I've railed against it over the last few months on this show because it's wrong to have played it when they did. But I love the international game. And if there's a scenario in which you can get some fans in stadiums and next summer you have a Euros and a Gold Cup and an uh, Asian championship and an Af- like all these things going on at the same time, that will be a huge moment for me of like the world is back to normal. Um, so I'm very excited about the idea of the international game coming back at the right time. Uh, and having the atmospheres that it can have. And I'm looking forward to reading the Mo Alnane Ballon d'Or 2021 headlines that we are sure to see <laughs> because I'm thinking optimistic. While I'm on the um, sentimental note, I'd like to take a moment to thank everyone at Space Monkey for bringing this crew of people together. Sean, Clay, everyone behind the scenes. Nick, David, have had a blast doing this in 2020, and it's been a terrible year, but I've really enjoyed this show and talking footy with you guys. And shouts to Sean Kay, who yeah. out for paternity leave for 75 months because he's Canadian in <laughs> that country and takes care of people, which is tight, but he's a Spurs fan. So by the time he gets back, I assume they'll be like fifth in the league and he'll have spent none of the time when they were good on the show bragging about it. (laughs) Cheers to that. A reminder, we are on Twitter at a football pod and on patreon.com forward slash a football pod. Get this podcast ad free and jump on our discord for 2021, where we will be back talking MLS CPL and everything soccer For the weeks to come, for Nick, David, and myself, wishing everyone a happy and safe holidays. Hope you enjoy this time remotely, together, but safely. And be sure we'll talk to you in 2021. Take care. 